Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is Tuesday, August 22nd. My name is Thomas Bendit, and we have two fun topics on the docket today and two guests to help break them down. We're going to be continuing our series on the Mount Rushmores of the Big Ten since 2000. As a reminder, this is, you know, a detailed look dive into some of the best players for each respective Big Ten team over the last 16 seasons. And, you know, we we hit on some of the other teams. We hit on Illinois already. We hit on Minnesota, Rutgers, some of the other teams. And we're continuing on tonight with two more, and that would be Iowa and Northwestern. So it it should be fun. We're going to have two of our writers on. Uh, Jerry, who used to write for us, who is now in the <laughs> the the mystery situation of college coverage, just a, a wide variety of things he has going on, and um, Gianna, who writes for our, us regularly. So it's should be a fun fun set of topics here. We're just waiting for for Jerry to call back in. We had a couple technical difficulties, so he may he may take a minute or two, but. I guess to to take a little bit of a, a step back here as far as, you know, what we're talking about, you know, obviously Iowa's had a an up-and-down tenure over the last 16 seasons, you know, some some bright points, some, some low points. I, I think for the most part, though, Iowa fans have been pretty happy with how things have, have ranged from the program over that, that time period. You know, they've seen some success. They've seen some deep NCAA tournament runs. Um, and they, they've they seen some solid success in the Big Ten tournament, too, which is not always something you, you see for a program that hasn't necessarily dominated. But, you know, the early part, not a ton of uh, – and I guess I should should say that, that that deep NCAA run I'm thinking of is 99, not 2000. So I guess that would be just outside of the range I'm talking about. But – but still, some solid success, and it, it looks like we have Jerry on. Hey, man, how's it going? Good, Thomas. How are you? Good. Happy to have you back on the podcast. It's been a while. What have you been up to? It's been a while. Oh, you know, just trying to stay as cool as possible in the dreads, the summer dreads of Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, man. Um, so we have a fun topic on the on the docket tonight, and that's, Iowa's Mount Rushmore of players since 2000. So I'm hoping you had you've had a couple minutes to think about you know who you might pick. You know just as a, a reminder, you know we're talking just the last 16 seasons. You know just college contributions here. But before before we jump into that, um, do you do you mind I guess recapping for our listeners who might not follow Iowa day in and day out? You know what has happened over the last 16 seasons. You know some of the high points, some of the low points. And uh, what what should fans think of this era of Hawkeye basketball? Well, after the Todd Licklider era that started in 2007 and abruptly ended in 2010, um, Hawkeye fans should be ecstatic to where Fran McCaffrey has his program. Um, honestly, he kind of had to start at a rough patch. Um, he slowly started getting some recruits to look his way and then eventually sign on. And then it just seemed like with the – with the signing of Adam Woodbury and Mike Azell, that this entire program has shifted. And all of a sudden 
it looks to be as though the Hawkeyes are trying to be in that upper echelon, that top tier of Big Ten programs that are on a consistent, I wouldn't say championship level, but they're right there to where they can contend on a year-to-year basis. And um, with the stable of young kids that Fran McCaffrey has on this roster currently, I think we're about to see that next wave that might bump them up into that actual contender market um, in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I was just talking about that. You know, obviously that the last 16 years, it wasn't super bright at the beginning, but, you know, started to come around, and, and McCaffrey's really got things rolling at least to a, a steady level, as we'd say. But, um, but yeah, with, with no further ado, um, let's, let's dive into the, the Mount Rushmore for Iowa since 2000. Before we, we get to your list, I want to go over our list. One of our writers, Connor, he, he tackled Iowa. And his, his four players selected, again, this is just the last 16 seasons, he selected Aaron White, Devin Marble, Jared Utoff, and Adam Haluska. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting list. I, I, for me, I think Utoff and White are probably the easiest picks. Maybe I'm, you'll disagree with that. I think those two are very deserving. Marble might have had the best single season of any Hawkeye during that run. Um, maybe that's a little bit of a hot take, but I, I definitely would agree with those three. I'm not, I'm not sure who I would pick for the fourth one, but, um, who, what, who do you, who did you have on your list? Um, and did you disagree with, with Connor's list, which, you know, for all of our listeners, you can check out on btpowerhouse.com right now. So I think Connor did a pretty solid job with those, those three. Um, I agreed with him. I actually tried to do this before looking at his list. Um, <laughs> and I also had Devin Marble, Aaron White, and Jared Utah in that order. I kind of went year by year trying to figure this thing out. And that fourth spot, kind of like what you mentioned with Adam Haluska, I can see the pick. I don't have a problem with it. But it's definitely one of those things where I think if you pulled – um, you know, all of Hawkeye Nation, we'd probably all fill out that fourth slot a little bit differently. But I think mm-hmm. Jared Utah, Aaron White, and Devin Marble are probably the three you'd see the most, for sure, since 2000. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. Um, one one I thought was a little interesting, and, and maybe this is a little recency bias, but he had Peter uh, Jock outside the top four. But, man, I mean, that's I, – I understand he might not have had the best finish with some injury trouble and with the lackluster final season for the Hawkeyes, referring to last year, obviously. But, man, he, he was such a great scorer. You know, at his peak, I mean, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find many guys who could put forward that offensive explosion. Where, where did you have uh, Jock on your list? I had I had Peter Jock unfortunately right off of it too, and it came down to mm-hmm. Jock and Matt Gatons for me on that four slot, and it was I mean look what are Mount Rushmore's at the end of the day? It's just it's it's an attachment <laughs> that you have for players on top of them being great, and I was in school and Matt Gatons was there, and just him being a part of their transition from signing on with Todd Licklider, staying when he could have easily left the program, and giving Fran McCaffrey his vote of confidence. And then, honestly, having his best season as a Hawkeye, his senior season under McCaffrey, um, kind of what he did, you know, he finished eighth all-time in points. He had 239 three-pointers, and his consistency at the free-throw line and him as a leader just kind of slid him in over Peter Jock. I always viewed Matt Gaines as a more important person to the program than Jock was, and I kind of gave him that, that fourth spot because of that. 
Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, I, I would probably put Jack in there just because, I mean, man, uh, when he was on, he was on. But, you know, of, of this list, though, you know, we, we've kind of discussed that three of the guys seem to be pretty safe bets, and that would be Utah, Marble, and White. I Maybe this is a little bit of a <laughs> difficult question, but did you have those guys in any sort of order, or was it really just all of them sort of in a bunch, and it's really tough to separate them? It's not tough at all. Aaron White is one of the most underrated <laughs> Iowa basketball players of all time. Mm-hmm. It, it, just the things that he accomplished during his tenure at Iowa, I don't think people realize what he did. I, I just want your listeners to think about this for a second. White scored 1,859 points, and it ranked second in Iowa history only behind Roy, Roy Marble Sr., Mm-hmm. That's in, that's insane. I don't think anybody would realize that Aaron White, one of the most probably when you're looking at him in warmups, is one of the most goofier players in the Big Ten. <laughs> I don't think that they would think that he actually accomplished something like that. But it was that funkiness, that weirdness, and I think Connor touched on this in your guys' piece. It was that weirdness that made him so good. Because not only could he shoot, but he can get to the rack, and then when he went to the rack and got fouled, that dude converted from the free throw line. And those free throw points is what kind of got him up into that range. Um, but Aaron White, I think, is definitely underrated and might possibly be one of the best uh, Hawkeye players of all time outside of even just the 2000-2016. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I thought White consistently, and, you know, maybe not to get kind of off base here, maybe it had a little bit to do with his, uh, his race. I'm not sure. But he – he was really forgotten, I think, by a lot in the na- a lot of people in the national media. But when you're talking about diversity in terms of style of play, I mean, White has to be right up there as far as, you know, during this era of Big Ten basketball. I mean, the guy could score, the guy could rebound, he could block shots, he could defend. And the interesting thing is, is he did have some perimeter game, but, man, he was awesome in that mid-range game. And as you mentioned, you know, if he got to the line, he could convert. And, you know, he, he maybe he struggled in, in some of those bigger games, so maybe that's why people don't think of him as, as this huge, you know, epic star. But, I mean, night in and night out, it, it was very hard to pick any player who, who had that kind of just straight-up production. So, I mean, I agree. I think White, White's the guy there. I mean, as, as good as Utah was in his last season, he just he didn't have the career that White did. So, I mean, I, I agree – yeah, I think it, it has to be White and then Utah and then um, behind him, I would put Marble and then Peter Jock. He was my fourth pick. I know you disagree, and, and obviously Connor, the one who posted our article, disagreed a little bit. But I did want to spin off of this one a little bit, and um, I'm not sure if you've thought of it this way, but you know, obviously we were looking at college contributions. So what did you do when you were on the team? What did you do when you were in college? So, for instance, if you tear it up in the pros or something, it doesn't really relate to this measure. But if we kind of ignored that and we just picked, you know, you're, you're putting a team together tomorrow, you just want the four best guys, would you have changed your list at all under those circumstances? I don't think so, um, only because Iowa's track record of NBA talent since 2000 isn't the greatest. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, 
obviously from those 80s teams, you'd be able to select quite a few players that would definitely probably, you know, eliminate all four of these players off this list entirely. Um, but, yeah, I think I would keep it the same. Maybe I, depending on what Peter Jock does, I, I, today came out that he um, just signed with the Phoenix Suns. So, depending on what he might be able to do, you know, there's definitely, if you're considering the NBA and slash pro career of that, um, he might be able to take that four spot. But I think I'm pretty, keeping pretty, you know, where it's at. Um, uh, and touching, going back to your Aaron White point one more time, consistency is a big part of this, too. And he played in 140 basketball games. Like, that shouldn't be overlooked. Wow. Yeah, certainly. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm Would with you. Would you change I mean, anything, I, including the NBA? No, yeah, that's what that's what I was going to hit on. I, I don't think I would. The only thing I think I would change is obviously Jock would bump up on my list, but I already had him in mind. So I, I don't think, you know, obviously nothing would change there. But yeah, yeah I mean, Iowa hasn't necessarily had any huge NBA hits during this era. So I, I think Marble would solidify himself there maybe a little bit. He's had a little bit of yeah, maybe Reggie Evans even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could make an argument there, um, but I, I think for me, I'd probably still keep it around the same four. I mean, this isn't a case, you know, where uh, I'm trying to think of a an example. You know, maybe Michigan. You know, they have Tim Hardaway, who's been pretty good in the NBA. Maybe something like that would would change shake things up. But but with that, I, I did want to ask. Uh, Two more questions before we let you go. And again, appreciate you coming on here tonight. Uh, First, I want to ask, you know, obviously Iowa's coming into next year with some mixed expectations. You know, they didn't make the postseason last year, but they, they, people, you know, have high hopes. I know I have high hopes. I I think the Hawkeyes are going to improve a lot. Is there anyone on the team right now that you think could ultimately make it on this list? I know this is a, uh, you know, high mark to set, you know, certainly for, for a young player, but is, is there anyone on the team right now that you could foresee maybe making some noise as far as this list is concerned when when's all, all is said and done? So I want to completely go overboard and start talking about Luca Garza. Um, but I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it, you know, to a minimum. Jack Nunge probably wants my love as well. But um, honestly, Thomas, I think, there's three players that come to mind that I have seen play at Iowa that I expect to lead this team to, you know, take that next step. They were very young last year. Peter Jock was, you know, the only senior on this team. They did make the postseason. They made a fantastic run towards the end of the season. You saw some of those things that those young kids can do. But going back to your question, I think Isaiah Moss is the one that I am looking for to make a big splash um, this coming year. And on top of that, you have Tyler Cook, who's everybody's favorite player on the, uh, the Iowa basketball team right now, and Jordan Bohannon. If Bohannon can continue to score the way he showed that he can and make big three-pointers in big games like he already did as a freshman, mm-hmm. the sky's the limit for this kid. He's already a fan favorite, too. Um, and everybody likes the long ball, and the more that Seth Curry keeps <laughs> shooting them, the more people are going to love what Jordan Bohannon does because he has no problem jacking them up from anywhere on the court. Um, so those are three guys that I would be looking for right off the top um, that could possibly eventually maybe push that fourth slot, whether it's a Peter Jock, a Matt Gaines, um, uh, or Adam Haluska, and eventually put you know solidify their name there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in all in all honesty, you know, obviously putting a player on this kind of list is a is a pretty big honor. So it shouldn't be considered a, an insult to say it, you know. It's, a player's going to have to really work to get up there. But, but in all honesty, there, there isn't any, like, prime contender, I think, right now to surpass one of those four, at least in my mind. 
But if I if I'm picking someone, I think it's obviously Bohannon or Cook. I think Cook has the talent where he could really earn himself his way onto this. You know, he's a guy who, when all is said and done, you could see making a real push for all Big Ten. But I, I do think one of the odd quirks with him is I almost think Bohannon has the more likely chance just because if Cook blows up, he's going to be a real NBA prospect. You know, maybe not a, a super high, you know, lottery pick or something, but I could see him getting some serious attention. I think Bohannon has more of an uphill battle as far as the NBA is concerned. So I would feel more comfortable thinking he would play four seasons. Maybe that's a little bit of a cop out, but <laughs> regardless, that, that's kind of how I'm thinking. I, I at this point, I think it'll be tough, as I said, for for anyone on this roster to make it. But those are the two I, I would think would be the front runners as of now. But yeah. But spinning, Don't sleep on Isaiah oh. Moss, though. Six five body type. It's there. It's definitely there. And uh, players in practice who I've spoken with say that when mm-hmm. he's on, he is one of the most dominant scorers they've had in that program. And that's that's just that's a pretty good thing to say when Peter Jock, Jared Utah, and Aaron White have mm-hmm. recently come out of there. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I will be interested to see. I mean, not quite as high on him personally, but you know if what you're saying is is true, I mean, obviously he'll be a, a guy to watch as well. Um, but yeah. speaking of next year's team, obviously they come in with some mixed expectations. Um, any any thoughts on the Hawkeyes? I know we're still a ways away from the season, but any thoughts as we enter next season? Well, I think the, the non-conference schedule is very reasonable um, for, you know, again, a young team to maneuver their way through. Uh, I think they should come out of that, you know, pretty unscathed. And then, like we saw this past season, the Big Ten schedule is always – kind of dark and full of terrors, but at the same time, if you grow together and you play the type of basketball Fran McCaffrey wants them to play, they are more than able to, on any given night, beat the best program and at any given night lose to one of the worst ones. Um, That comes with young players, and they are young again. They have three new freshmen on the team um, and a bunch of sophomores now. Those sophomores played a lot, so basically it all comes down to what Tyler Cook, Bohannon, and I think Moss are able to do filling in for Peter Jock's um, offensive uh, output from last year. That's a, that's a big role to fill. They need somebody to step in and be that score. But when you have somebody like Nicholas Bear that's coming off the bench and some of the, you know, the horses they have in that stable, they're all 6'6 and super long, super athletic, and it's everything that Fran McCaffrey's ever wanted in a roster. And that's what gives me hope that Iowa can get back to the NCAA tournament and, like I said, be – not a contender to win the Big Ten championship, but be in that next tier of teams that are going to push those contenders to the limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll certainly be interested to see it. Um, Jerry, before we let you go, where, where can people check out your stuff? Um, I am over at Blackheart Gold Pants now doing everything from Iowa football, which we are getting excited for and will be heavy in the basketball season as well. Perfect. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for coming on and have a good one. You got it, Thomas. Thank you. Thanks. Um, as a reminder, that was uh, Jerome Sherwin. He used to write for us. Now he's over at, uh, as he mentioned, uh, Blackheart Gold Pants. It's SB Nation's Iowa site. They always put out great stuff. But with that, we'll move to our second topic for tonight, which is Northwestern's Mount Rushmore since 2000. And to help us out, we have uh, Gianna on. She's one of our writers. Hey, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Good, good. Happy to have you on. Um, I know you've been busy with a, a whole lot of stuff for various uh, sites, but um happy you could 
spare a few minutes to come on and, and chat some Wildcat basketball tonight? Of course. <laughs> so uh, we have a fun topic. Uh, it's the Mount Rushmore for the Northwestern Wildcats since 2000. You know, I know I talked about this earlier, but obviously, you know, college contributions only, um, you know, what they contributed to the program during that tenure. And we have the rare luxury so far, you know, we've been podcasting all the teams and and this is the first time we've had the writer on of the article um, on our site. So I don't have to break this down for you. Obviously, you know who you picked. Um, I don't know if you have it in front of you or not. I I know this went up a a little bit ago, but um, yeah, so I I guess, uh, you know, before we jump into that, though, um, we could take a second, you know, if you want to take a a minute or two here, just to recap what Northwestern basketball has done over the last 16 seasons, you know, some of the high points, some of the low points, and, um, you know, what fans should take away, I guess, from this era of Northwestern basketball. Yeah, sure. So, uh, the Bill Carmody era, the coaches have primarily been Bill Carmody, and then Chris Collins came on in 2013. And uh, Coach Carmody got them incredibly close to the NCAA tournament. There was a stretch, I, I want to say, where they made it um, like three or four straight times to the NIT. Um, and I'm sure every Northwestern fan will remember the Jared Sullinger buzzer beater. Um, from Ohio State, I think it was in 2008, um, and if Northwestern would have made it, they would have gone to the NCAA tournament, so they got remarkably close, um, and then Chris Collins came, and they were under rebuilding for his first couple of years, and then this year, they finally made it to the tournament, and I think um, to everyone watching, heading into this, until last season, it was a bit of a surprise, because um, no one expected the production out of Scotty Lindsay that they were going to get, um, and also... Um, the player development that took place over the summer, I think it was a really crucial off season. And then they were able to finally make it to the first NCAA tournament in program history. So I think um, Carmen there was a very important era for Northwestern basketball. I think they needed to go through it in order to get where they are today. But I think um, Northwestern had shown last season um, that, you know, their program that, that can have their name be heard and finally start getting some, some great national recognition for what's been happening in Evanston. Absolutely. You know, last year was the, was the breakout year for Northwestern hoops and there's no going back uh, for better or worse. You know, they made it and uh, they'll never be NCAA tournament lists again. (laughs) Um, But, you know, with that, uh, let's, let's jump right into this thing. Um, You, you made our post, which again, for any of our listeners, can check out, you know, on beatpouse.com, uh, Northwestern's Mount Rushmore since 2000. Um, so who did you pick and why did you pick them? So I, um, I felt like I had to, or um, because of the NCAA tournament, I wanted to pick someone from the Chris Collins era, but I also felt like um, in this era, because Northwestern never made it to the tournament, there were crucial players who were kind of instrumental, um, not only in Northwestern basketball history and making an impact on the program, um, but also in just helping the transition to the Chris Tom's era. So my first pick was Drew Crawford. Um, Crawford was a five-year player at Northwestern. He set quite a, a lot of records. Um, he almost left at the beginning of um, the 2014 season when um, Collins came on. And I think Drew was just a really important part of Northwestern basketball. I feel like when you think of Northwestern basketball in the early 
and you know, the second Drew Crawford is a name that comes to mind. Um, he's um, had a brief stint with the NBA or with the NBA with the Toronto Raptors um, last summer, but I think um, his his ability on the court, he was always tough to guard for teams, always knew what to do on the court. And I think his leadership really set the tone for, um, you know, the new era of Northwestern basketball that has come. So he was my first choice. My second pick was Bryant Nassitosh. And I think um, it was a pretty tough decision to pick who I wanted to pick from the Chris Collins era, because I think you could really go with any of, you know, Vic Love, Derek Pardon, or um, Scotty Lindsay. I think those are my, um, you know, my other choices. And I think um, I picked Brian McIntosh because I think um, obviously Northwestern success, you know, banks on a lot of what he did. Um, obviously, you know, he spent a lot of minutes on the court um, in his past three seasons. And I think his leadership and just his ability to run the floor, I mean, when he's not on the floor, it's not quite as pretty of a sight. Um, compared to when he is on the floor, he's just a very strong point guard, and I think um, he's his impact and his legacy will be remembered in Northwestern. So not only you know his free throws against Vanderbilt in their first game, but also um, just for um, how he makes his other teammates look better. So he was my second pick, and then um, my third pick was John Chernoff, who is another pretty famous. Um, one of the most famous Carmody recruits. Um, he is going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Northwestern Hall of Fame, this fall. And um, he set quite a lot of season records. He was one of the most athletic scorers. And um, despite always playing the um, Princeton offense, he was a phenomenal shooter that, um, you know, just seems like everyone had a hard time being able to guard. And I think um, – you know, he played a really important role in Northwestern's four straight NIT appearances and, um, you know, just being able to have a successful career. Um, and he's had a lot of success playing overseas as well. I think he um, just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet and, um, you know, just an important part of the program. And then lastly, I picked Juice Thompson. Um, so he was kind of, I said, called him the Bryant McIntosh before Bryant McIntosh came along. Um, he played along with John Turner on the backcourt. And um, he was the all-time assist leader at Northwestern until Bryant McIntosh just broke it this past season. But they had pretty similar playing styles and that um, Juice is kind of a pass-first guard. And he always tried to, you know, do whatever he could to make his teammates look better. Um, and I think his three-point shooting and just, um, you know, what he did on and off the court um, was really imperative to their success um, towards the end of Carmody's tenure at Northwestern. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think generally speaking, I really can't disagree with, with much on this list. I think, you know, personally, Sherna is a clear pick. I think He's probably the number one pick, at least for me. I know he wasn't on one of those NCAA tournament teams, but his sheer scoring and contributions are just really unmatched overall, I mean, in Northwestern history. So, I mean, I, I think for me, he's an easy pick. I, I agree with Crawford. I mean, just so many minutes, so many contributions. And, again, like, he wasn't there for the, the breakthrough, so to speak, but still a, a great, great player. And, you know, I, I know personally – I'm not as high on Macintosh as some of the other people, you know, around the Big Ten, but 
he's put up a lot of numbers during his career, and it would be pretty shocking at this point if he doesn't, you know, finish in, in really high in all those categories, you know, scoring assists in terms of career contributions at Northwestern. And to be one of the key players when they bro- finally broke through, I, I think you have to put him on. Even though his career is not finished, he, he deserves to be on here. I'm not as sure on the fourth one. Uh, I, I think Thompson's a perfectly fine pick. I think I might have leaned like Ola, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think the fourth one's kind of debatable. But otherwise, I you know I, I definitely agree. I, I think these are probably – the top three are, are pretty solid, and, and the fourth one's up for debate a little bit. But, um, but spinning off of that, I, I asked this to all of our people so far who's, who've come on, but, you know, this list is based in, you know, college contributions. You know, we're not looking at pro potential – we're not looking at raw talent, just what you've done for your respective college team. You know, however, if we did adjust that and looked at this in, you know, pure talent, you know, pure uh, potential, would you have changed anyone on this list or, um, or just left it the same, I guess? Um, I mean, I think maybe, uh, I feel like I had this debate with myself while I was um, taking the players right. I think Alex Ola and also Trey Dempster are also really strong candidates to make this list. Um, their scoring abilities that they had were really important. Um, and I think, you know, Alex was a huge reason that Northwestern, you know, had the success that they did last year and were able to have their record. His post presence is something that, you know, you'll even hear Brian McIntosh say that, you know, it's different adjusting to having, you know, other players in the post. Um, and I also feel like Vic Law's athleticism um, is something that, um, you know, Northwestern has never seen before. He, uh, you know, he was their best recruit before um, come on. And I think um, just his pure raw talent, obviously, um, you know, he's only a redshirt sophomore, so he has two more years of eligibility remaining. But I think what we're going to see Vic Law accomplish over these next two years um, could easily earn him a spot on this list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm I kind of feel similarly, especially about Law. I I think he I would put him on here for sure if I'm going off pure talent. Maybe Ola as well. Um I don't know who I would bump off. Um I think I think Sherna is a clear pick regardless. I know he didn't have a a massive, you know, pro career or anything, but I I think you got to put him him on there, McIntosh on here, and then, you know, maybe Crawford you bump, but but otherwise I I think it would largely stay the same, but um, but spinning off of that, I know you have one person on here already from the current Northwestern squad, but do you see anyone else having a chance uh, to make it on this list, you know, once their career is, is finished, who's currently on the roster? Yeah, definitely. I think that would be Vic Law. Um, in fact, I almost picked him. I think um, the reason I did this is because I feel like, you know, he registered a season and I think Vic had kind of an up and down year this year. Um, you know, in parts of the season he was really good, but he also had quite a few slumps. Um, and I think he, um, you know, he'll he has, since he has two more years of eligibility remaining. I think, um, especially after the twenty this year's class graduates, when um, Brian and Scotty and uh, Gavin Skelly leave, I think he'll really just continue to break out of his shell. Um, and really become the leader of this team. And I think, um, you know, Northwestern wouldn't have been able to do what they did this year without him. And I think he just has absolutely raw NBA talent. 
Um, and, I mean, he's getting scouted already, so I think he would really um, – he would definitely be on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously this one – this is kind of a little bit of a loaded question in this case just because McIntosh is already on the list. But, yeah. but yeah, I think McIntosh and Law are obviously the guys on the list right now that, that will likely end up on here, if not right in the honorable mention category. Um, maybe someone else can, can get in that, that mix, but I, I think those two are the guys – but speaking of, of next year's team, um, you know, obviously Northwestern enters the season with some, some pretty high expectations after their first NCAA appearance in school history. Um, what, what, are you, what are you hearing about the Wildcats right now, and what are the expectations as the team prepares for next season? Um, well, I think because we, they have such a high number of players returning and you're really you're losing Sanjay and Sanjay Lumpkin and Nate Caphorn. Um, I think, you know, they're expected to make the tournament again and finish pretty high in the Big Ten. And I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, I think the fact that the backcourt's returning and you also have Vic Logan, Aaron Feldone's coming back from injury, um, and you're adding more depth at the forward spot and also adding another really athletic guard in Anthony Gaines, I think um, they have potential to make the tournament again. I think um, what will really be – um, important for them this year is in Big Ten play to continue to stay, you know, to try to stay at the top of the rankings and, you know, to not lose games like they did against Illinois last year um, when those are usually games they should have won. So just really playing smart basketball and obviously um, being careful with injuries too. They almost missed the tournament when Scotty Lindsay went out this past season. And so if something like that happened again, I think I'd be a little cautious. Um, but I, I think they, they definitely can go again um, if they play, continue to play well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they certainly will be in that NCAA tournament picture again. I'm, I'm a little wary as to how much better, quote-unquote, they can get this year. I, I think, you know, with a lot of the same pieces, a lot of guys who've already reached most of their potential, I do wonder how much better they can get. But I still think they should be a good team in the Big Ten. I think they're going to be a tough out. I'm curious to see what the home court advantage looks like in the quasi home arena they're going to be playing in this year. But I, I do think it should be a, a fun season. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting, you know, with, with expectations for maybe the first time in school history. But, uh, but with that, um, Gianna, why don't, why don't you tell our listeners where they can check out your stuff? I know obviously you write for us on BT powerhouse, but I know you write some other places. So uh, if you want to tell everyone where they can, Check out your stuff. Yeah, so I primarily do Northwestern things here, being around Northwestern for a long time. Um, I also do some stuff at Mid-Major Madness. It's not quite frequently, but um, do all sorts of stuff. Um, Zuri Valley, Southland Conference, just, um, you know, all sorts of stuff there. So also on um, SB Nation, Mid-Major Madness is where you can find it. Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us tonight, and have a good one. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Um, so again, we appreciate everyone for checking us out tonight. We'll be a little bit uh, briefer in terms of our, our coverage, you know, just hitting on Iowa and Northwestern tonight. But thank you to everyone who checked us out. Encourage you to continue to check out BT Powerhouse over the next couple of weeks. I know everyone's focus will probably be on football as we approach the kickoff to the 2017 season. But basketball is approaching soon, and I will have a very, very exciting announcement regarding our season preview here in the next couple of weeks, which I'm very stoked about. So 
Um, thanks again for everyone checking us out. My name is Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. Make sure to follow BT Powerhouse at BT Powerhouse and like us on Facebook at BT Powerhouse. Thanks again, and we'll see you all next time.